the In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my In Conversation podcast series. My guest for this episode is a well-established UK comedian, Rudy Liquid. Greetings, Rudy. Welcome to my podcast series. How are you? How am I? Well, at the moment, I ain't too bad. I'm on 2020. We're currently on lockdown. It's We're into our 11th week, actually, which means that I'm broke. <laughs> oh, dear. So are you saying you've been on lockdown for 11 weeks? You've not been anywhere? Well, the thing is, I haven't been able to perform. I haven't been able to get up and work because no social gathering is allowed. But according to Mr. Cummings, the gentleman who told everybody that we should stay at home, you know, I actually listened to what he said. So the only times that I've been going out is either to buy food, to buy some cigarettes and then come home. That's what I have been doing. I have not been anywhere other than that really many of us have been sticking to the rules um unfortunately mr cummings assumed the rules did not apply to him uh, that always seems to be the politician's way isn't it <laughs> really i mean that's what makes comedy so bright in my world well talking about comedy i want to find out a little bit about how you got interested in that but before we go down there where did you grow up mm. and what was it like i grew up in northwest london my childhood was a happy one that's why it's so um weird to think that i ended up turning up being a comedian that just happened by total accident it was not something i never thought i was going to do and thought i was going to be an electrical engineer it was through my dad actually that i um ended up doing my first performance um, and that was a, a fantasy dress competition where you had to come dressed up as a character of some sort and my first character that I ever played was um, a postman delivering letters at my school assembly and I found that comedy was something that I didn't realise that I that was within me because the following year when they decided that we were going to have a fancy dress party I decided to come across to come along as the milk tray man. Do you remember the milk tray man? He used to deliver chocolates, the milk tray chocolates. He would dive through the water, he would climb up walls. Wasn't he kind of based on James Bond? That's right. Ah. That's the one. Well, I decided that I was going to come as the milk tray man, but the only thing is I dressed up in bandages. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> I came second in that one, which was really, really good. I really enjoyed that, but I didn't know that it was it was actually the beginning of me beginning to like comedy. So in your early, younger years, which comedians did you watch and admire? As a, as a comedian, I actually, I liked people like Dick Emery, believe it or not. Dick Emery was a great big fan of mine. Mike and Bernie, I used to watch Mike and Bernie back in the day. I used to watch, I used to sit down and watch the Comedians and the Wheel Tappers and Shunters Club, um, where they used to actually just have an individual stand up with a mic and talk. But I actually started out as an Eddie Murphy lookalike, which was by accident working in the Waverley Hotel. Um, did I meet a famous musician by the name of Art Blakey? Uh, he was a jazz musician and he told me that I looked like Eddie Murphy. And I had no idea who Eddie Murphy was because Trading Places had not come out yet. And it just so happened that that weekend I was at my godbrother's house and his next door neighbours brought over this videotape 
And on the videotape, it had Delirious. There was Eddie Murphy performing live on stage. And that was the first time a stand-up comedian made me laugh from the beginning to the end for an entire hour. I mean, any time I used to watch, sit down and watch the comedians or the wheel tappers and shunters club, there was always these little snippets of sketches that we used to watch. Whereas this was just Eddie Murphy standing up, just telling jokes. And they weren't even like set up and punchline jokes. You know, there were antidotes, there were there was him mimicking, there was him using the list of three. He was using all these techniques different types of technique and because Art Blakey told me that I looked like this famous comedian and I remember going back to work and we were all talking about it in the back of the in the back of the kitchen that some of the the staff who used to work in the kitchen and the ho and the hotel staff they were actually out of work actors and they told me about um, look-alike agencies and I was like look-alike agencies what are you not talking about and they go yeah there are agencies that employ people to go to events dressed up as these characters as a character and they took a picture of me in the back of the wavy hotel and they sent it off to the look-alike agency as it was called and I later found out there was another agency called Susan Scott and they sent these photographs off to the agency and the next thing I knew I was promoting Beverly Hills Cops as Eddie Murphy and that's where my that's where my look-alike career started. So for about, uh, what, for about a good four or five years, I was traveling the world, I was traveling up and down the country as an Eddie Murphy look-alike. Anytime Eddie Murphy came out with a film, I was asked to appear. So when he came out with, like, coming to America, I was asked to go around to all the owl prices in the UK. Most of the owl prices in um, Europe, because they used to sell videos then. We used to have Betamax and videos. Now everyone just does downloads. We never had downloads back in the day. You just have to have a video recorder. And um, I used to go to a shop called Our, the Our Prices, a shop by the name of Our Price. I went to these shops and I would stand up and people would think that I looked like Eddie Murphy because they gave me the whole paraphernalia. They would give me bodyguards, they would give me women. I would turn up in a limousine and everything and I would present myself as Eddie Murphy. Nobody was allowed to get next to me because the bodyguards would be keeping them away and uh, <laughs> the stores would have like pe just queues of people, queues, queues, queues of people just trying to get a glimpse of me. I would go into the shop and then I'd only hang around in the shop for maybe about 20 minutes or so. And then I would go back into the limousine and then drive off. And that's how, um, I know that's how um, Coming to America was promoted throughout the world. What do you think of the early black comedians in the UK, going back to the 1970s, like Charlie Williams? Well, if you're gonna talk about black comedians in the 70s, there is only one to talk about. There are no others to talk about because Charlie was first. Charlie Williams was the first. Charlie Williams used to appear on the comedians that I mentioned earlier on. He was the only black stand-up comedian at the time. There was no other black stand-up comedian. I mean, there were entertainers, as in Kenny Lynch. Kenny Lynch was an entertainer, very entertaining very humorous but in terms of just a mic stand and uh, an audience Charlie Williams was the only one who used to do it and the type of comedy that he did at the time was with, was with reference to the time so all the jokes were self-deprecating it was all about oh the sun is out and I feel like I'm melting it was it was the humor of its time and I and I really respect that man for being able to stand up in what was known as working men's club doing comedy to an audience that had no real respect for the black community 
community that was invited over during the years of the Windrush. So Charlie Charlie Williams was the only one. We didn't really get another comedian until Lenny Henry appeared on New Faces. And when Lenny did appear on New Faces, it was a phenomenon to see a, a young black individual who could get up and do impressions of uh, famous characters of the day. So Lenny Henry became the face of what was seen as black comedy for at least 20 years. So it wasn't until we got into nine, into 1990 did we start to see any kind of explosion of black British stand-up comedians taken to the stage. And that only happened because of a man by the name of Donald Mack who put on a, a comedy show down in the Albany Empire which gave us the likes of Curtis Walker and Ishmael Thomas, Leo Muhammad Chester, Felicity Ethnic which at the time Felicity used to perform with another young lady and they used to call themselves Ethnic and Minority. We used to have a sketch group called Eminem Society. So it wasn't until 1990s that we started to see uh, faces started to appear. Um, and that's when I myself began to look in the direction of actually doing stand-up comedy. Because remember, I was just a lookalike. I wasn't a stand-up performer as such. It was great going around impersonating somebody, but it was totally different when you get up on stage and you start talking about your own experiences because the alternative comedy scene took off where there was no sexism, no racism was allowed and the, the jokes were not of a format of set, set up on a, on a punchline, but it was more about observations that was taking place in life and the uh, ironic situations that somebody can find themselves in. I just want to touch on what you said about racism, because back in the 1970s and 80s, was there not a tendency for black comedians to perpetuate black stereotypes to entertain their white audience? Right. When, when you're a comedian, it's not a case of perpetuating stereotypes. We don't look at it um, from that perspective. You're talking about white comedians when you say that, because the derogatory remarks and, and the taking the piss out of black people was done by white comedians. The, the, the type of comedy that Charlie Williams was doing was, self, was called self-deprecating. That means that you're taking the mick out of yourself. Yes, at the expense of being black, but the only reason why that came across that way was because there was only one stand-up comedian representing the whole of an entire community of people. I mean, when we used to sit down and watch Love Thy Neighbours, which was which would never be allowed on TV today, the, the biggest audiences were the black audiences. And the reason for that was because Rudolph Walker was allowed to give as good as he was he got. So we used to see the, the, the backwards and forth, which was at the time they used to call it banter. Yeah. It's not it's not allowed today. Yeah, you can't you you know, have a go at somebody because of their colour today. It's not allowed, right? And rightfully so. But at the time, at least we could see that Rudolph Walker had a voice. So he was giving as good as he was getting at the time. Whereas when it came to stand up comedy, the comedy was when it came out of white comedians' mouth, the butt of the joke was always black people. It was always looking at us in, in a negative way. And for Charlie Williams to survive in that type of environment, his comedy was self-deprecated. But at the same time, I'm going to say to you that it was funny because the man was a very funny man. Now, if white comedians do self-deprecating comedy and they take the piss out of themselves, everybody's fine with it. 
But the difference is they don't take the piss out of themselves for being white. They take the piss out of themselves for being inept in some way or the other. Whereas we found that we tended to be on the butt of the joint because we were meant to be lazy, we were meant to have big lips, meant to have big butt arm, all them kind of things. Whereas if we were talking that today, then we would start talking about them, how they ain't got no lips and how they do want to look like us. Yeah, and if they want to have big lips, then let me just punch in your mouth. Now you've got big lips. So we can we can give as we can give as good as we get. Whereas in the seventies, we had no voice. We had no voice. So I respect Charlie Williams for being able to, to survive in that climate at the time. So where do you get your ideas for your jokes from? Everyday life. Most of the jokes that um come around are from are from everyday life and, and um life experience. You know, it's like we've got the NHS, or as I like to call it, the Negro Hospitality Service set up in, 19, in the 1960s. Now, for me, that's a very funny joke because we're talking about the NHS, but we know that it's it's predominantly staffed by ethnic minorities. So who does the NHS really belong to? Does it belong to the British people or does it belong to the people who work in it? So I say it belongs to the people who works in it, the Negro Hospitality Association. I love that kind of joke. So I get so 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 that's where I find my joke. That's that's how I find them. I find them in the everyday mundane things that we do and that people can relate to. Because sometimes, depending on what class you come from, sometimes you get certain comedians who come on stage and you don't understand what you can't really relate to what they're talking about because they're coming from because they're from a different class or they're coming from a different race or they're coming from a different culture. But the, the thing about being black British is that I've always had to adjust to the English. So I know more about English people than they know about me because I've always had to adjust to live in their society, which is fine. I was born here. I'm black British and I'm proud. But so being able to find that middle ground of talking about things that everybody can understand is quite easy for me because I've lived it. How do you know if your audience is going to find your jokes funny? You don't know if your audience are going to find your jokes funny. It's not even about whether or the audience are going to think they're going to find my jokes funny. The point is, is do I think what I'm saying is interesting enough or amusing enough that people would want to sit down and listen to it? And because funny is not something that can be measured, the responses that audience gives you tells you that you've hit something that is quite humorous or that they may find funny. As, as time goes by and after working what is known as a routine, a stick set, you begin to work out where the funnies are in what you want to talk about. So you could be talking about an experience of, of walking three miles and talk about all the things that you saw along the way. And if I'm going to talk about all, all the things that I saw along the way, there's, there's a strong possibility that you, that I may come across something that you have observed but never thought about talking about and find humorous. That's how I look at it. So an audience comes, comes along a journey with me and the journey that they normally come along with is a 20 minute journey. And that 20 minute journey is based on the 25 years of experience I've had in this business that is surrounded within a premise of humor that's gonna create laughter. So I'm a professional at what I do. So back in 1991, you became involved with the Real McCoy TV series. How did that yeah. come about? The, the Real McCoy really came about because we had a show by the name of The 291, and The 291 was one of the first black British shows that was broadcasted on TV. And it was the success of that show that a gentleman by the name of Charlie Hansen decided to put together 
a production company by the name of Monkey Game Productions, which then gave us the 291, uh, to it brought to the television screens and also to the black audiences at home the likes of Curtis Walker, Ishmael Thomas, Felix Dexter, Leo Muhammad, known as Leo X now, Llewellyn Agidian, and a sketch team was put together, Eddie Nesta and Robbie G. They became the sketch team for what was known as the Real McCoy, which was a sketch show. And they decided that in between the sketches, as well as having sketches, they wanted to introduce new comics to the scene. Now, by this time, I had started working on the alternative white circuit and my agent was given a call and I was asked to audition for The Real McCoy as one of their special guests. And that's how that came about. So, Rudy, what's on your bucket list? I have a, re- I have a really large bucket list, to be honest with you. But not all of it is to do with comedy, in truth. I mean, I want to I want to learn more about um, black history. I, I want to know more about what happened before 1492 and how civilization really got the basis of, of what it's got today, because obviously we're standing on on that foundation. But with, with regards to comedy, I guess the thing the thing that I now want to do is there are new ways of distributing and new outlets for comedy. Before, um, we used to have to go to scripts to the BBC and beg them to to allow us to put our comedy on screen. But because this thing called the internet has exploded and there's all these different platforms that have come about, there's things like YouTube, there's Instagram, there's Facebook, individual comics can now create their own marketplace. And so I now have a show that's being produced by the Comedy Pit called Keeping It Real with Rudy Liquid. And that's a show that I really wish to develop where I invite my own guests and they can come onto platforms like Zoom, for example. And audiences now, because of this thing that we've got locked down in 2020, audiences are now starting to look to the internet for alternative means of of entertainment and they gravitate to comedians and personalities that they like especially through their social media i.e facebook instagram etc and they're prepared to pay a nominal fee to listen to what it is you wish to do and that's a platform that's that's a a distribution outlet i'm 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 going to explore that's what's on my bucket list i'm also in the process actually of writing a book called the history of black british comedy so when you asked me about charlie williams and um, we started talking about charlie and then we got to lenny henry and then we got to the albany empire and we discovered curtis walker and then through there we then started to have things like the comedy school i set up the comedy school in 1994 with a by the name of keith palmer which introduced most of the comedians that are working nationally in the uk today and I want to talk about the explosion that's taken place with the internet and how the comedians that were taught through the comedy school has taken hold of this medium and they've exploded to the point where their comedy is now being seen globally to the point now where we have certain comedians like the likes of Axel Blake who have sold their shows to the likes of Netflix. I think the biggest thing that I need to do right about now on my bucket list is write the history of black British humour because it hasn't been documented yet and everybody's asking me to do it. So, Rudy, how can people contact you? Well, I I suggest you don't because my wife won't like it. (laughs) 
all social media platforms, I mean, as, as, a, as a stand-up comedian, you are self-employed. And so because you're self-employed, you have to have your own shop front. So my shop front happens to be Rudy Liquid. You put, you put the name Rudy Liquid into a browser and you will find that my Facebook will come up. You will find that my Instagram will come up. You will find that my Twitter will come up. But if people are really interested in what Rudy Liquid has to say, I have a show called Rudy Liquid Bants. Rudy Liquid Rants. Not Bants, Rudy Liquid Rants. And that is at 8.15 every morning, I talk about what has happened yesterday or what, ha what happened last week, um, what's in the news, so to speak, or what's going on in my life, or what book I may have read. And I have an audience of people who are constantly questioning me about things because it's quite an interactive morning that I have between 8.15 and 9.15. So people just jump onto my Facebook, really, and they'll, they'll find me straight away every, every morning, Monday through till Friday. And then on Monday, Monday evenings, at 8.30 to 9.30 show, as I pointed out early on call, Keeping It Real with Rudy Liquid. And that, that also airs on the internet, which people can find if they go to the... They put in www.comedypit.co.uk. They will find me there as well. And that's where I have my own guests. And my guests are... I could get personalities, I could get stars, etc. But I've decided that I want to talk to the everyday man that I come across and find out what their lives are about and, you know, where's the humour in just having a conversation with them? Because so the show is really like in conversation with Rudy Liquid on a Monday night at 8.30. Well, Rudy, thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. No problem, bro. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please join me for another In Conversations podcast very soon for more interesting and entertaining discussions. Stay safe.